All right. Well, we're going to continue in our series right now. Um, our series called Unfiltered. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of like, what are the essential conditions for us to be able to endure to the end? Like, what does it look like for us to maintain our spiritual life and move forward with vitality and strength? Well, in order to do that, we've got to understand some things about God, and then we have to understand some things about ourselves. Let's go ahead and dive in. It is First uh, John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. First John chapter 2, uh, verse 28 says this, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So let's talk about this a little bit. Um, John starts by writing this phrase, dear children. Now, in no way is he trying to diminish anybody in the room or his original readers, right? His church. What he's basically doing is he's responding to people who have just become followers of Jesus. So these are not chronological children. They are people who have just become uh, Christians in their journey. Now, many people who attend this church have become Christians here at Grace. And so you could be called a child or uh, a children uh, because you're new in your faith, not because you're diminished in any way, but because you're growing in your relationship with God. So he says, hey, dear children, there's an affection for them, right? He's like, I'm so excited to be able to teach you these next things. Dear children, continue in him, this is Jesus, so that when he, Jesus appears, we may be confident and unashamed. So when they're talking about the second coming of Jesus. So the idea behind it basically is this, where are we and what are we gonna be doing when Jesus returns? You know, so like, for example, we don't know the day in which Jesus will return. So let's just say he returns tomorrow and you're at the beach. Is he going to be like, really? This is what you're doing when I return? You're like you weren't out missionary doing something? No, that's not it. That's fine. That's fine. What we're talking about is what are you investing your life in? Like, what are you investing your life in in such a way that you're making a difference for the kingdom of God? He says, I want you to be aware of this because Jesus will appear again. He's going to come back. It's going to be like a thief of the night. It's going to be a thing that just happens. You're not going to know when it's happening. It's just going to be going along your everyday life, doing your ordinary things. But he says, I really want you to be confident and unashamed. Now, like I said in the community service, we are able to walk unashamed. In the book of Romans, it actually says something that I still can't believe. It says that you and I will stand boldly before the Father, right? And that's just amazing to me because every time something supernatural encounters someone human, like an angel in the Bible, almost all of the time, it's for the people who experience this angel are filled with terror and fear and they fall down and shake and all kinds of things. So I can't imagine standing confidently before the Father, except for the fact that the reason why we will stand confidently before the Father is not because we've done good works or done good things in this life, but it's because Jesus has applied his goodness to our lives. So we may be confident and unashamed before him at his second coming if we know that he is righteous, right? So what does the word righteous mean? Well, it's a complicated term. It means all kinds of different things given in all kinds of different connotations and contexts. So I'm just going to give you a super portable definition of God's righteousness and our righteousness. And so here's what it is. Righteousness means that God does the right things at the right times and the right ways. God does the right things at the right times and exactly the right ways. And when he talks to us about being righteous, he's like, I want you to do the right things at the right times and exactly the right way. But what foundation do we have to feel confident? What foundation do we have to feel bold to be able to do the things that God calls us to do. Because sometimes he calls us to do extraordinary things. Like for example, I remember the other day, um, this was actually a few months ago, I was out at a restaurant and uh, the Lord spoke to me. And uh, this doesn't happen to me a lot, guys. So don't go, well, why doesn't he do that to me? He just doesn't do this to me all the time. But I saw that the waitress was upset. I don't know what she was upset about, but I felt like the father said, hey, I want you to go over there and say, I don't 
you know, I don't need to know what the situation is, but it seems like you're upset. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. So I did that. Now, just so you know, that's terrifying for me, just like it is for you, right? Because when God says that, you know, she could be like, I'm not upset, you weirdo. Like, that is a legitimate option that, he could, that, that could have happened right there, right? But, but, I get, but, I, but I go over there and I said that to her and she just responded, thank you so much. And she just teared up. And I just, I knew in that moment, it was just God saying, I want you to do something, but how do you do that with confidence? How do you do that not feeling ashamed or weird about it. Well, I think it comes out of you understanding how the Father looks at you. Verse one, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God and know that is what we are. The reason the world did not know us is that it did not know him. All right, so everything that we're gonna talk about in this message flows from this part of this verse right here. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. So the first thing I want you to see is that the Father hasn't just been chintzy with his love or his care for his people. He's actually lavishly pouring out his love on your life. And what does that mean? It means the word lavish here means exceedingly abundantly more, right? It is over the top, it is effusive, it is too much, it's extraordinary, right? So see what kind of extraordinary, lavish love that the Father has lavished upon us. Now, this is a problem because for some of us, it's very hard to receive that kind of love from our Father. And part of the reason for that is because we had relationships in the past that were damaging to our ability to connect with other people. Like, for example, when I grew up in an abusive relationship when my father used to beat me, right? It was hard for me to look at a father in heaven and say, this guy's for me. Why? Because I didn't have an earthly father who was, right? And that may be for you, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a father, a parent or or a significant other, a teacher, whoever, somebody of influence in your life that spoke into you. And then it became very hard for you to be able to connect or receive love that was lavished upon you. For some people, when you compliment them, they go, oh, no, not me, not me. That's not me. No, 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 whatever, right? And, And the reason for that is not because they're humble, but because they're broken, but see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Even though those voices spoke to you, those words a long time ago, or didn't follow through on their promises, or exhibited or demonstrated some kind of behavior that hurt you in a a severe and terrible way, what you need to know today is that that is not necessarily the end of the story. You can rewrite that story because what happened to me was when when I became a Christian and I started looking at how the Father in heaven looks at me and loves me, he held nothing back on from his love for me. He lavished his love on me. He sent Jesus into the world to die for me. I want you to imagine the image right now because remember, we have feelings. We're gonna talk about this in a second because we're created in the image of God. We have thoughts because we're created in the image of God. We have the ability to emote and act because we're created in the image of God, right? So we, the things that we do are because of the fact that he does these things too. So I want you to think about like, here's Jesus, he's on the cross, he's strung out, right? And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, there's Jesus. Don't explain, I can't explain this theologically, but just what the Bible teaches, right? There's Jesus, he's hung out on the cross and the father turns his face away from Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus is abandoned that moment. Here's the reason why. Because the Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus on the cross, who knew no sin, the sinless lamb of God, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. So in that moment, there's two things that happen on the cross for us, right? One is God takes all of his, Jesus takes all of his goodness and applies it to your account when you trust in him with your life. 
The other thing that happens is he allows you to take all of the wickedness, the effect of all of the wickedness of your choices in life and put it on him. See, sometimes, and especially if you're not religious, you go, okay, I've heard Jesus has died for my sins. But what does that mean? That's what it means. It means all of the bad things that are in your life, he is punished for them. All the good things, his sinless perfect life, his relationship with the father are now extended to you. That's why when we look in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible teaches us that God is no longer counting men's sins against them. That's for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So there's a point in which we're not ashamed and we can be bold, not because we're awesome. That's the, that's the world solution. Why are you okay? Because I'm awesome, right? Like that's the solution. Why? Because I'm enough. No, 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 no. No, we're enough. We're okay because Jesus has lavished his love upon us through the father's gift of his son to us. But imagine, imagine the brokenness of the father's heart when he had to watch the entire scene go down. Like if you said, hey, if you sacrifice one of your sons for grace and all the people to come to know Christ, that would be a terrible, awful decision. But that's the decision that the father did. He held nothing back from us. He gave for God to love the world that he gave, right? He lavished on us his love that we should be called children of God. It changes our identity. So now I'm not just Mike on my own. You're not just you on your own. I'm a child of God, right? I'm in his family. And it's not just that we should be called children of God. He makes this clarification. It is actually what we are. It is an ontological change. There is something that actually changes inside of us that we are now related to the Father. And sometimes people don't get that. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There's always going to be a limit. And this is why I think the closest relationships that you have in life should be with those who are fellow believers. That doesn't mean that you have to like, you know, take the world and say, well, I can't be your friend anymore, or I can't do this, or I can't do that with other people. No, no, no. It just means the reason why it's easier for us to have connections with people who are followers of Jesus is because the world around us cannot understand the spiritual things that are in us. The world around us cannot understand the spiritual things are in us, which basically means this. There are times in your life when as you're going along just you know, day-to-day life stuff, we see bad things happen in the world. We, think we see hard things happen in the world. And you and I, we respond with eyes of faith and eyes of trust. Why? Because I know God's on his throne no matter what happens around me. I know that he's, he's going to, all things will work for the good of me because I've been called according to his purposes, right? We know those things. The world does not know those things. So they're on their own with their own resources. Nobody knows this more than if you're in a marriage right now with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Because you're gonna love them as much as you possibly can. And that's what, you're, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love everybody. We're gonna love them as much as we possibly can. But you know, there's always a part of you that is not known by that person because they can't know it, because they can't understand your spirit, because they can't understand the deepest core parts of who you are. They can understand what you like. They can understand what you dislike. They can understand all kinds of things. But when it comes down to the spiritual core of a Christian, Only another follower of Jesus can do that. Only another follower of Jesus can understand that. And sometimes, you know, if we haven't been loved well in life, it's hard for us to love others well. It really is. It's challenging for us to love others well if we have not been loved well. But the truth is, and the good news of that is, is that we can change, we can be transformed, and we can rewrite the story. So here we go. We have up on the screen, we've settled for lesser things in this life because we have felt lesser. All of us know a person like this, and some of us are the person like this. You are way below your talent level. You are way below your skill level. You're way below your experience level. And you're way below your relationship levels. Why? Because there's a part of you, because someone spoke it into you a long time ago, that is just damaged and frustrated and hurt. 
Because, and we'll go, we're going to talk about this in a second. The stuff that's said to us doesn't just come and bounce off of us. It actually goes inside. So I want, to, I want you to see something that is really uh, amazing. It was a text from a friend of mine in the church this week uh, when he heard about the building next door. He wrote this text. How awesome for so many years, buying a building was delayed. And now it's so much better than could be imagined. The best deal makers can't make deals like this. Congrats. So awesome. He's 100% right about this um, for a long time. For those of you who've not been around Grace for a long time, um, here's what you need to know. I think sometimes when people come to Grace today, they're like, man, look at all the things that God's doing. So incredible, so exciting. It is, 100% it is. I'm really excited about that. But for 14 years, I prayed every single day without fail. Every day. I prayed for 14 years for God to open up a facility for us. I employed every real estate person I knew all kinds of real big shots in Orlando, all of that stuff. And nobody could find us the exact right spot. So for 14 years, it was frustrating every day to get up and go, it's not gonna be today, it's not gonna be today, it's not gonna be today. But let me just say this. There were long extended periods of time during that 14 year process where I felt like I was kind of abandoned by God. And I'm telling you this right now because I wanna be real with you about the experience of kind of growing a church and what, it's look, what it looks like to, 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 to lead in a church. But I also more importantly want you to understand that for some of you, you're in that space right now. It's not about a building for you, it's about other things. But for 14 years, I watched other pastors and I watched other ministries get buildings and facilities and grow and all kinds of great things happen. And then I saw a bunch of those pastors fail and fall and, and everything screw up. And then God says, okay, here's the time. And when he did, it just came right out of the blue, just like this did, came right out of the blue. But here's what I wanna say to you today. I wanna tell you guys, if you're in that place right now and you feel like God is frustrated with you or something's going wrong, because that's what I did. I looked at myself and said, it must be the teaching. It must be the leadership. It must be the maturity. It must be something that I don't possess because God is not blessing. You see, that comes from, again, those voices from the past that are constantly accusing you. And that's what Satan is called, the accuser that's accusing you. You know why your problems are your problems? Because you're a screw up, because you're a mess up, because things are not going to go right your way, because you're not worthy, you're not valuable, you're not important. And some of you have those voices screaming in your heads all of the time right now, and you need to know it's not true. And I wanna tell you right now, he is coming. He is coming. And when he comes, he's going to bring better than what you think he's going to bring. It'll be different than what you think, but it'll be better than what you think. It'll be extraordinary. And I want you to know that doesn't mean that you're always going to get everything that you want, but you're going to get him. And when he comes, he's going to provide the right circumstances. The Bible says it this way. It says, in the fullness of time, God acts. The fullness of time, it means that in, when all the circumstances line up in exactly the way God wants them to line up for his purposes, everything shows up. So he's right. How awesome it was that for many years, a building was delayed. It was frustrating in the time. Now I can look back and see it's 100% part of God's plan. You know why? Because it wasn't just about us. It was about them too. They didn't want to sell their building and then have you know, it demolished and turned into apartments, which is what would have happened. They wanted their influence to go beyond. They've been there for 50 years, that church has been around. And they wanted to see the church continue to move forward. And that's what they did when they folded it in. God knew what he was doing, Amen. Verse two says it like this, dear friends, now we are children of God and what or who we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All right, so again, the affection that we see in John for his people. This is not some distant preacher. This is not some guy who's in the background just being a celebrity. This guy right here, he loves his people dearly. Dear friends, now we are children of God. This is what we are. This is our identity. And what 
or who we will be has not yet been made known. So there is a now sense of this and there's a future sense of this. There's a present sense of this and a future sense of this. Here's the future sense, right? But we know that when Christ appears the second time, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So let's take this part right here. There's another part inside of us that is often misunderstood for dysfunction when it's not really that at all. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There's parts of us that are not fully satisfied. I remember like when I was a kid, my parents always, for all the good or bad that they had, they always swung really big for Christmas. So whatever I wanted for Christmas, I got for Christmas. Our presents were like halfway up the tree. Like it was just, I walked in, I was like, well done. You know, you're right. And, and, and uh, on the other side of that, on the other side of that, after we had gotten everything that me and my brother wanted, you know, all the stuff, that was never a problem in my family. Stuff, fine. Love, not so much, right? But, but it was one of those things, eh, you know, but, but it, was one of, it was one of those things where at the end of it, after we got all the stuff that we wanted, right? After that, I just remember, even as a little boy, just thinking, is that all there is? Not, not because I was dissatisfied with what I got, but the feeling of anticipation on Christmas day was like, now I'm gonna get all the things that I really want and everything's gonna be okay, but no. You know what it is? C.S. Lewis calls it longing. It's the idea that there's parts of us that will always, this side of paradise, remain unsatisfied. And the way it shows up in some of our lives is it shows up by some of you in the room right now going, I never, ever feel like I belong. I never feel like I'm perfectly connected in the right way. I'm not gonna have the right relationships. Others of you feel like I've never been the person I'm actually supposed to be. And we think about that as dysfunction and terrible things. It's, it's really not. What it is, it's longing for a future in which when Christ appears, we shall be transformed into him, what we look like him. So there's a part of you that will always be disconnected from this world. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, read the whole thing. It's just about this whole idea but there'll be a part of us that always longs for more than we can have. And, it, and the new car won't satisfy it. The new house won't satisfy it. The new wife or husband won't satisfy it. The new friendship won't satisfy it. None of that works. But ultimately what will satisfy it is this, that when Christ appears, we will be like him. For why? Because when, for we shall see him as he is. The moment we see Jesus face to face, he's like, now I heal you, Right? and it's glorification. And now not only do we experience temp, like what we, call, what we would look at in this life and say temporary joy or temporary peace, temporary happiness, you know, because none of us are perfectly peaceful or perfectly happy all the time. If you are, there's medication for that, right? Like, like, but, but, at the, but what I'm saying essentially is this, is that none of us are perfectly these ways, but when we see him face to face, we will be that way for the rest of our lives. So the most and the largest portion portion of your life in the future will be one who has been perfected by him. In fact, 1 Corinthians, Paul picks up this idea in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and he says this on the screen. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So Paul says this, look at these words, now and then, now and then, okay? So this now, now we see as a reflection in a mirror. But what you need to know is that this was written 2,000 years ago. And so the idea of a mirror is not the same idea that we have today. An idea of a mirror back then would be like taking a piece of metal that's polished and holding it up to your face, right? It would show you an image of who you are, but the image would be distorted and twisted, gnarled a little bit, right? It's almost like when you drop a, a stone in the water and then you try to look at your reflection and it's all like this. You can see you. 
You can make out the image of who you are, but you're really not your full and whole self. For now, we see like as in a mirror, some translations actually translate this, we see through a glass dimly. It's all twisted up and gnarled a little bit. So what you need to know is you see yourself gnarled up and twisted. You're not gonna see yourself this side of heaven perfectly at all. Sometimes you'll be too proud of yourself and go, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm independent. I don't need anyone else. I'm just great by, while I am. Gnarled and twisted up. And then other times you'll be filled with self-condemnation. I hate myself. I'm never gonna be the person God wants me to be. I just despise my life. Gnarled and twisted up. We see only as a reflection, gnarled, broken mirror. That's not who you really are. You're not the prideful, arrogant fool. You're not the self-condemning fool either. You're a person created in the image of God who the Father has lavished you with his love by giving you the greatest gift in all of human history, that of Jesus Christ. For now we see only as a reflection in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. So then we shall see face to face. When I see him face to face, I'll become like him. We just learned that in the scriptures. Now though, I know what I know in part. I know when I look into me, only who I am in part. I know when I know when I experience you, I know only parts of you. That's just how we will be in this life until we see him face to face. But then I shall know fully. And the reason why I'll know fully is because now I'm fully known for the very first time. It's always within the context of relationship. It's always within the context of relationship. So the reason for this is because we need a relationship with God to understand ourselves and to understand each other well. Here's the reason why. It comes to us in Genesis 1.27. And God talks about us being created in his image. And this is what it says. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The first thing I want you to know, ladies, is that there's something inherent in Christianity that's not inherent in all of the major world religions, and that is there's an inherent dignity given to you that is equal to the dignity of a man, right? So men and women are created both in the image of God. We have unique but yet equal dignity before our Father. So God created mankind in his own image. So what does this mean? Okay. This, this concept of being created in the, in the image of God means that we are actually the mirror, that our life is a mirror to reflect the glory and the goodness of God. So every time I take steps down God's path, as I become a little bit more loving and more peaceful, more joyful, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruits of the spirit, right? The evidence of God in your life. As I become more and more like these things, the father looks down from heaven and he's like, yes, this is what I wanna see in you. Why does he wanna see that in us? Here's why. Every single time you and I think about like someone great, we might go to a sports person or a business person. You might be like Kobe Bryant, man, that's, that's definition of greatness. That guy could fly. For me, it was Michael Jordan. I was in Chicago when the Bulls three-peated uh, the national championship. It was amazing. It was incredible. A guy could fly. When we think of greatness, we always go like this with it. We think about it outward, like someone else or something else. Great people from history, right? Winston Churchill. We think of amazing leaders. But when God thinks about the greatness of someone else, he, he, he doesn't have anything to reference or compare it to. Why? Because he is the greatest. Muhammad Ali claimed to be the greatest. He was pretty awesome. But, but he, he was not the greatest. Why? Because God is only one who is great. God is the one who is perfect. God is the one who is holy. God is the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing. God is that one. And so watch this, watch this, watch this. So when he looks down from heaven and he sees you and me reflecting his character, he goes, there I am. He's the only being in the entire universe who values his own beauty and goodness above everything else. 
If I did that, you'd go narcissist, right? And you should. Why? Because I'm not, I mean, that's not right. I am beautiful. But other than that, like I'm just kidding, just kidding, sort of. Uh, but, 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 but all that to say, all that to say, God's the only one, only one who can look at himself and go, yes, I can delight in myself in that way. I want you to think about that. The father's always looking down from heaven. And what he wants to see in us is that we reflect back to him our image. So to be your most authentic self, to be your most genuine self is to, reflect, is to reflect his glory and goodness because that's how you were made. You were made to look like God. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about how Satan hates that about you. Verse three continues. Hey, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So John starts to talk about the fact that we are, because we're created in the image of God, we have the moral capacity to choose not to be like God. We have the ability to say, yes, I want to be like God. We also have the capacity to say, I'm not going to be like God. And because we have that free will, we can either look like him or we can choose not to look like him. And he's saying here that everyone who sins uh, breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. It's a condition of the heart. You can walk down the road just sinning, sinning, but then you step into lawlessness. It's a pattern of life. But I think for many of us, whenever we think of like breaking God's laws or things like that, here's what we think about. We think about like those unnecessary stop signs that are in our neighborhood. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's totally unnecessary. Like there's no one on the street and there it is. And I'm just going to confess, like I don't always stop or I do that like stop, you know, and then kind of just move on. California stop, I think is what it's called. But anyway, I, I, we'll do that. Why? Because it's, it's kind of dumb. Like you understand that like when you're in the middle of Nebraska and there's a stop sign, there's no one for 90 miles around, right? You're supposed to stop. But you're also thinking to yourself, well, that's dumb. It's designed specifically for people to not hit each other when they're going through intersections. So the purpose of this rule is kind of dumb when there's no one around, right? That's how we tend to think of rules. Like we want to know why the rule exists, not just what the rule is, but why. Well, in this context, that's exactly important for us. Why? Because every single one of the rules, the moral rules of God, are not arbitrary rules designed just for some random reason. They're designed specifically out of the character and nature of who God is. So for example, when he says, hey, I don't want you to murder people, the reason for that is not because you're a good person and you wouldn't murder someone. I mean, given the right circumstances, I think psychologists prove that you'll do all kinds of things. But the reason why he says that is this, because I, I your God, am not someone who would just randomly murder someone for no reason. I don't do that, so I don't want my people to do, to do that. You are a reflection of me. You're supposed to be me. You're supposed to look like me. So when he says, you know, hey, I don't want you to lie to people, Right? You go, well, hold on a second. Like, what if the lie helps me in business? Like, I can just get ahead, you know? Isn't that like, okay, don't the means justify, the ends justify the means? And God's like, no, no, they don't. And here's the reason why. Not just because don't lie is a rule. I mean, is that enough for you to like be compelled to be obedient? I don't think so. It's not for me, at least. Like when someone just says there's a rule, I'm gonna know why. Like, that seems like a dumb rule. Tell me why, right? And, and so he's telling us why. And that is, I don't want you to lie, not because it's just wrong to lie. I don't want you to lie because I'm not a liar. And you can count on me in your life because my character is consistent always. I will never lie to you and trick you. You'll be fine. And I want my people to look like me. And so as John's bringing this up, he's basically saying our job in being more like God, more, more, more of the fruits of the spirit in our life, walking in the path of Jesus is not because they're just rules that God says, hey, do these things but because they reflect him. They are his character 
revealed in us. And that is the highest virtue that he has for us. Verse five says it like this, but you know that he, this is Jesus, appeared so that he, Jesus, might take away our sins and in him have no sin. Now, this is very important because there's some verses in John. If you don't get this right here, there's some verses in John that are gonna totally undo your life. Here it is. But you know that he appeared so that, so the first coming of Jesus, so that he might take away our sins. Jesus sent in the world to die for our sins. He dies for our sins. All of our sinfulness applied to him. All of his righteousness and goodness applied to us. It's called double imputation in theology. Go look it up, right? And in him, there is no sin, right? Here it is. This is the thing that will throw you for a loop. No one who lives in him, no Christian in him keeps on sinning. So if you read that, you go, hold on a second. I'm sinning right now, so I must not be a Christian. What he's basically saying is this, is that when you accept and trust Jesus with your life, when you basically say to God, and by the way, if you're not religious in the room right now, and you're like, just here because somebody invited you, you're like, hey, come listen to the lecture. It'll be cool, right? Listen, here's the thing. When you, when you come to Jesus, and, th- and this is what's, what many of us in the room have done. When you come to Jesus, we're not asking you just to blindly trust and jump off a building. That's foolishness. There's all kinds of evidence based on who, who Jesus is historically and what he's taught and where he is. There's eyewitness accounts of his resurrection from hundreds and hundreds of people who saw him after his crucifixion on the cross. I mean, there's all kinds of radical evidence. We have more evidence of Jesus than we do Socrates and Plato, okay? We have tons of evidence for this, right? So we're asking you to weigh out the evidence, to look at the circumstances, and then right when you get to that place where you're like, I don't know what I think, just take a step of trust because that's what we do in other areas of our life all the time. Watch this. You know that he appeared so he might take away your sins because his desire was to come here and solve one fundamental problem you have, and that is this. That problem is you are a sinner and you need to have your sin dealt with, otherwise you cannot be with him in the next life. And so his desire is not to be like, here's 10,000 paths, you better figure out the right one. He simply say, no, no, here's one path, his name's Jesus, I'm gonna make it as clear as I possibly can, and anybody and everybody who wants this can have it. I don't think it can be any easier than that, but what it does require is you simply to trust. Watch this. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away your sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. But once you have made that decision to trust him with your life, here's what happens. You no longer are considered a sinner by him anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that in life, like if you do something wrong as a Christian, like say you cheat on your wife or your husband, right? If you do something like that, there will be consequences in this world, right? Your wife might blow up and get mad. Her husband will certainly you know, be enraged. All these terrible things will happen. And God forbid that ever happens to you. But there'll be terrible consequences that happen as a result of that. But here's what you need to know. Even in the most dramatic circumstances like that, even in the most dramatic circumstances like that, the Father's not in heaven going, because you did that, I revoke your salvation. Because you did that, I'm taking away the gift that I have given to you once and for all. Now, he doesn't do that. That's not a good father. And that's not a father who lavishes things upon us. So surprisingly, there will be people in heaven that we were shocked to see that there'll be murderers in heaven and there'll be, there'll be people who have stolen and people who have lied and people who have abused people. Why? Because at some point in their life, they turned back around and they said, I'm broken and I'm sinful and I need Jesus. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You and I, we are no longer sinners according to the gospel itself. And it is why the gospel is so radical and so beautiful and why every single person in the world needs it. Verse six says, no one, keeps on, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin either has seen him or known him. Here's what verse seven says. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who, is, who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. So this is important. 
This is one of the big, the big, like, if you will, applications of this message. You have to curate the right voices in your life. You have to have the right voices speaking into your life. If you don't, then it'll be destructive. Like when my father was young. When, my father, when I was young and my father would speak to me, he would say things like, uh, you, you're worthless and you're never going to do anything great. And I just remember as a little boy thinking that because here's what happens. Words just don't hit us and bounce off. Words penetrate our hearts, right? And so the words on the outside of us will eventually become the words on the inside of us. And so I began thinking that I'm worthless and I'm never going to do anything great. I'm worthless. Until I found my father in heaven, those were the things, those were the tapes that were running in my head. And you've got your own version of that. You've got those kind of things just rolling around and they limit your life. In the same way, the people around us today can influence us as well. There are people who can lead you astray off the path of Jesus. Why? Because they don't have the same thing. They don't understand you. They don't understand that at the core of who you are, there is a spiritual presence. There is the Holy Spirit. It's God himself. They can't connect to that. They don't understand it. So their values and their ideas will be radically different. Flip it around for a second. You need to know this too. When people who are not Christians speak into your life or they have values that are different than ours, we shouldn't expect them to have values like ours. They don't operate out of an image of God that, is, that, is, that has been energized by the Holy Spirit. We, we can't walk around expecting the world to look like Christians when they're not Christians. And if you just let that go, a lot of the angst and energy that you have about all the bad things happening in the world will just kind of calm down. Why? Because the Lord's in control of that, not you. <laughs> Our job is not to be the moral police of the universe. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The people who speak into your life matter in a huge way. And some of you today need to know that those voices that are now rattling around in your head for 20 years or 30 years or 15 or whatever it was, however many years they've been with you, these voices are just because somebody deformed spoke something deformed into you. And the Lord can take that and he can renew it. He can renovate your heart and you can stop thinking those thoughts. You don't need to do it. You can break that pattern. And this is why it happens. Here's the principle. I've said it before, but I want to say it again. The voices around you will eventually become the voices inside you. Know this in your heart. Like, this is super important for you. The voices around you will eventually become the voices inside you. Verse eight, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil, right? All right, let's take a look at this here. The one it says, uh, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. It doesn't mean that this person's demon possessed or some kind of wacky thing like that. That's very Hollywood, but that's not what he's talking about. He's basically saying you're walking the path away from God. And he's using the devil as a metaphor for that, right? But there is an actual devil. And this is where it picks up here. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The beginning here is not the beginning of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This beginning was prior to that. There were two beginnings, right? This is the beginning in which God created the heavens. And as he creates those heavens, there is the creation of the devil. Now this in, in Christianity is not like it is in, um, in Buddhism or in Hinduism, which is much more like a Star Wars, the force kind of a thing. Like there's a, not a presence behind evil, but it's just a force, right? This is actually a personality and a real person, right? This was, the devil was an angel. His name was Lucifer. And uh, one of the things that happened was that when God created Lucifer, the Bible says that he was the most beautiful and most glorious being in all of heaven except for God himself. The Bible doesn't say this about anyone else, very few at least, uh, but, but Lucifer stood in the presence of the Lord. He was kind of a, a right-hand man, if you will. But the Bible tells us that he became corrupted and prideful. And in his pride, he rebelled against God. And then a third of the angels were thrown to the earth with Satan. Jesus picks up this narrative in the New Testament 
And he says, I saw Satan fall. I saw Lucifer fall like lightning from heaven. And that the Bible says that he prowls the earth right now looking for those to devour. People come to me sometimes. They'll go, Pastor Mike, why in the world does all of a sudden when my life is going well spiritually seem like the devil just starts getting worse and worse and worse in my life? You experienced that before? Like you're like, I'm on track. I'm reflecting the glory of God. It's all good right now. Man, all of a sudden things start going wrong. Here's why. The devil hates God more than anything else in the entire world. And so when you, image bearer, start reflecting back to him, his goodness, his glory, his beauty, his excellence, all of a sudden Satan looks at you and goes, I hate you. Why? Because you reflect my father and I hate him so much. His rebellion against a father is his rebellion against you. It's the same way. But then we flip it for a second. I have these three kids, right? I have these three kids and I love them all so much. 14 to 26, okay? And they're amazing. And one of the great things about being a parent and watching your kids grow up is first of all, they leave. And, uh, and, 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 se- and second of all, one of the wonderful things about watching them as they're growing up is that... Um, I can see my wife in my kids. I can see me in my kids. And all three of them have accepted Christ and are walking lives of ministry and and goodness. And it's so amazing. I'm so grateful to God for it. But every once in a while, they'll excel at something. They'll do something. And I'll go, that was me. Or that that, that, that that was my wife. I do that too. She does it just like I do. And it's just, it's just the most joyful, incredible experience ever. And I think, like, if you were to close your eyes, some of you would close your eyes and go, like, you know, what do I, what's the face of God when I close my eyes? It would look for you like God is looking disappointed at you. But that's not it. That's not it. I think when the Father looks down from heaven, he sees his reflection in you and goes, there I am. Oh, my gosh, that's my kid. Look at what they're doing. This is so amazing. That is the Father's heart towards you in Christ. And the Father's heart for you, if you're not in Christ yet, if you haven't trusted him with your life, is trust him with your life. He can do that for you. He wants to do that for you. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you right now and we ask God that uh, for those who have not yet taken that step of faith to trust you with their lives, we pray God that you would let them do that. Give them everything that they need to be able to take that next step. God, show them the evidence, show them the direction. And then God, when faith is required, give them the ability to take that step, Lord. We wanna see more people come to know Jesus here at Grace. We wanna see more people changed in their lives. We wanna see families restored and renewed. We wanna see people who are broken walk in wholeness, God. We just ask that you would begin to do that in the hearts of those people. And for those of us who are followers of yours, Lord, we just ask right now, that you would remind us that you're not scowling at us, that you're not ticked off at us, that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ, that you are no longer holding our sins against us, that while yes, we have consequences in this life, in eternity, God, your desire is simply to see yourself in us. May we reflect you more. It's in your name we pray, amen.